Hello and welcome to the Emerging Litigation Podcast. I'm your host and litigation enthusiast, Tom Hagee. This is a co-production of my companies, HB Litigation Conferences and Critical Legal Content, and Law Street Media, the legal news division of Fastcase. Let me start by checking in on everyone. How you feeling? A little stressed? A little worn out? Crispy? Because Gallup, the polling people, did a survey last year and concluded that despite what you may think, you are not alone. Everyone is feeling more stressed than ever before. Gallup concluded that while stress levels began their upward trajectory over a decade ago, the pandemic, and you don't need to be a statistician to know this, kicked our stress up a few extra notches. And you know, there are a few other things going on in the world that aren't helping. Well, the legal profession and the court system are no different. They're feeling some stress too. As we discussed in episode 51, Under Pressure, courts and lawyers trying to deal with it with Diana Manning. The judicial system is overburdened for a whole bunch of reasons. Certainly one is playing catch up from the pandemic, which dramatically reduced the number of case dispositions. Jury trials alone plummeted from nearly 50,000 in 2019 to fewer than 19,000. For courts to carry out their important and necessary objectives, they're going to need to be more efficient Technology and openness to all that technology offers is one key solution, as was proven during the worst of COVID, which closed courthouses and law offices around the nation. Without the use of technology, it would have been much, much worse. Along with tech, the judiciary will have to re-examine its orthodoxies about how things should be done based on decades of doing things. This is a matter of importance to judges, lawyers, plaintiffs, defendants, and numerous others whose lives are impacted directly or indirectly when either the civil or criminal justice systems are inefficient, cumbersome, costly, confusing, slow, and even inaccessible, which is something that disproportionately impacts people with little resources. In 2021, the folks at the Pew Charitable Trust examined pandemic-related emergency orders issued by the Supreme Courts of all 50 states and Washington, D.C. The folks at Pew wrote, Quote, this adoption of digital tools in the civil courts has significant real-world implications. Unlike their criminal counterparts, civil courts do not guarantee a right to counsel, meaning they do not provide attorneys for those who can't afford them. This leaves roughly 30 million Americans each year to navigate potentially life-altering legal problems, such as eviction, debt collection, and child support cases on their own, including finding the appropriate court to hear their case, filing motions, arguing before a judge, and interpreting laws, Technology holds the promise of a more accessible system with better outcomes. The researchers at Pew noted that the Texas court system, which had never held a civil hearing via video before the pandemic, conducted over a million remote proceedings across civil and criminal divisions between March 2020 and February 2021. Michigan courts held more than 35,000 video hearings, totaling nearly 200,000 hours between April 1st and June 1st, 2020 compared with no such hearings during the same two months in 2019, according to Pew. So let's zoom in from 30,000 feet down to, I don't know, 10 feet, 5 feet. It has been said that my guest manages what may be, quote, one of the most advanced courts in the country for delivering justice online. He is the Honorable Scott Schlegel, who presides over criminal, civil, and domestic matters in Louisiana's 24th Judicial District Court in Jefferson Parish. Judge Schlegel was elected to the bench in 2013 and quickly earned a reputation as a modern judge, using technology to bring his court into the digital age, even before the pandemic forced the change on other jurists. Because he was ahead of the curve, he was all set to move his docket 
and even reduced the population in jails via video bond hearings. He partnered with legal tech companies to develop efficiency tools like chatbots and online form software. He launched courtonline.us and onlinejudge.us, check those out, to consolidate his processes for the public. Judge Schlegel has received numerous awards and accolades, like the National Center for State Courts 26th Annual William H. Rehnquist Award for Judicial Excellence, one of the highest judicial honors in the country. He was featured on the cover of the American Bar Association Journal after being named the 2021 Legal Rebel. Among his other accolades, and a nod to my partners on this podcast, the Fast Case 50 Award for his innovative approaches to the administration of justice. Prior to becoming a judge, he was one of the top felony prosecutors in the Jefferson Parish District Attorney's Office. Before that, he practiced civil law with an emphasis on product liability. Judge Slagle graduated with honors from Loyola University, New Orleans College of Law. Circling back to the Gallup stress survey, they did report that people did start to smile more after a while. And maybe with things like new technology, we can get a little less stress in the courthouse, too. More smiles there. Can you imagine? On that optimistic note, let's get to it. Here's my interview with the Honorable Judge Scott Schlegel of Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. I hope you enjoy it. So, Judge Schlegel, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. Before we get into modernizing the justice system, can you tell us what problems are we trying to fix here? Sure, Tom. If you've ever heard me speak, you know, I always try and start with the, it's really not about the technology. It's about really understanding your workflows and building and designing a more efficient and effective justice system. And the technology really helps us do that. But if you don't understand your workflows and you haven't built your partnerships first, selecting a tech stack is not going to help you. Technology is simply another tool that we can use. It's a very valuable tool, but it's a tool nonetheless. So, all right, well, let's talk about then. Let's not focusing so much on the technology in your, you know, in my mind, that's one of my problems. I think, well, what technology can I come up with? But of course, what you want to do is look at your workflow and what, what problem are you trying to solve? But are there examples in the real world impact? What is the impact of not paying attention to technology solutions for to the judicial system? And I can speak well. Let me ask that again. Are there examples of real world impact? of not paying attention to technology solutions for the judicial system? Yeah, the simplest example that I can give you is the the calendar. Before I was a judge, I worked at a big downtown law firm doing civil products liability defense. And uh, whenever I wanted a date, I would have to either call the minute clerk or send a runner or walk it through myself just to get a date. And sometimes that date didn't even work for opposing counsel, so we'd have to file a motion and continue. I was also a prosecutor who handled thousands of criminal cases, and we had your typical Thursday where we had over 100 criminal cases, and everybody would just show up at nine. That is a very inefficient way of doing business and calendaring. So the first thing I did when I took the bench back in 2013 is I took that big red book from the minute clerk. You know the book I'm talking about, Tom. That's the book that each and every minute clerk has his or her desk that controls the court's calendar. It made no sense to me. So I purchased a simple off-the-shelf online calendar, put my calendar online and said to the civil lawyers, pick your own date, call opposing counsel, make sure it works for everybody, and dump it on the Outlook calendar. That is one simple workflow that is very complex and complicated 
when you get down to the minutia of it. Gotcha. So calendaring is, is one, one real world example. So defining the modern judicial system, what software needs do you see courts needing and, you know, you mentioned scheduling and calendaring. So how can this also help with submitting evidence? So I guess that's a couple of questions. What, what kind of software needs do you see? <laughs> what kind of software needs do you see courts having? Yeah, look, again, it's, it's really not about the software. And, and I say that tongue in cheek because obviously the, the software is really important. But, you know, it, it really just depends on your jurisdiction and, and your firm, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, some of us use Microsoft products. Some of us use, you know, Gmail or Google's products. And, and how do you tie that into the court system? And, and every clerk of court is different. Some have their own clerk of court systems that they have built internally. Uh, then you have the, the national guys that have a number of clerks have, have purchased. And, and how does that work in your jurisdiction? So it's really not about the software per se, because it depends. It all depends. You know, some of these Zoom products that we're using or the WebExes of the world have the ability to share screens and or tie into your cloud-based folders and allow you to present evidence. And then what do you do with that evidence after you've presented it? And that's, again, going back to the workflow. What is the unique workflow within your jurisdiction? And then what type of products are you currently using that may be able to work fine if you understand how to optimize those products. Maybe they don't. Maybe you need to go get another piece of software. And then it depends on what type of evidence you're talking about. If you're talking about some very terrible things that we look at in the criminal justice system, right. you might not want to be sharing that on a cloud-based system. So it all depends, Tom. Okay. Yeah, that was that was a question that I had. It wasn't just the terrible things, obviously, that can be submitted. But there's also super private information or trade secret information. So I guess, would you say then that as a judge, you have exceptions for that kind of material? What I would say is you need to do the work on the front end like you would if you were a lawyer walking into the courtroom with your paper evidence. You know, have you met with opposing counsel? Have you gone over the evidence with them? Is it bait stamped properly? Do mm -hmm. we know where we're going? What's objectionable? What's not objectionable? Have we filed our necessary motions and eliminate maybe on the front end to ensure that certain evidence is not seen or the right protective orders to make sure that the evidence that we're presenting is properly presented and preserved? Uh, the other question I would have is whether or not you're using a freemium product or you're mm -hmm. actually paying for the products that do have the proper security levels to protect this data. You know, back in the day when people were considering when Dropbox first came out, all the lawyers were just talking about, hey, are you using Dropbox yet? It's incredible. And it was literally considered malpractice if you were using Dropbox <laughs> because <laughs> your client files could not go in the cloud. Now it's literally malpractice if you're not using the cloud. So, you know, I think I think the security levels have have certainly gotten better and it depends on what type of evidence and what type of documents you're talking about. You know, freemium, I would never use freemium for anything. Right. Yeah. And that changed quickly. Even just as a small business owner, I realized I thought, well, my private data, I need to keep it on my laptop. On my laptop because right. that's because that's secure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. So, exactly. So I and I don't use freemium. Uh, I'll only use that for things that are just completely. I, I I wouldn't care if they were on the internet. You know what I mean? <laughs> a draft of a blog yep. post. Who cares? But if it's uh, a contract or something, yeah, that's going on my Microsoft Cloud. So I get the sense that modernizing courts isn't so much a money question. I mean, you can correct me on that, but more of a willingness question. I, I thought it was interesting in a, a quote that I saw from you said, we can change the whole justice system for just under a thousand dollars a year in any jurisdiction in the entire country. So what did, what did you mean by that? Some of these things that we use, some of these softwares that we use cost real money. So, you know, we can modernize the justice system for under a thousand dollars a year by building a website, putting some forms up there, using an online calendar, embedding it, and possibly building other different web pages that are quote unquote hidden but not hidden that can be developed as apps for specialty courts. Those are simple things that we can do for under a thousand dollars a year in any jurisdiction in the country that will change and modernize the entire justice system. That doesn't mean that we are going to get the high level security storage or the high level clerk of court systems that we're talking about. Those cost real money, but Mm -hmm. the basics, a website, a form builder, an online calendar, these are things that will modernize the justice system and will make a huge impact in any jurisdiction for under $1,000 a year. Now, that's your base layer. Once you start layering, once you start considering the next steps, you're going to spend some real money. And it just depends on the size of your jurisdiction and the number of partners that are willing to go in with you to change the system. Gotcha. So some of the categories of judicial modernization that I, that I noted in reading about what you're doing, and you just said it, sometimes there's just different court rules, creating virtual spaces, adopting these workflow solutions, and, and as you said, just simply building better websites. So th- those seem to be the categories. Or a judicial. website at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or a enough. website at all. You know, there are plenty of courts that don't have an individual website. They might have a some information about the courts on another governmental entity's website. But there are a lot of courts that don't even have their own specific website. Yeah, okay. It just is not expensive. But uh, but I do know that it can be daunting that people think, well, somebody has to manage it. That's a human being and that's a salary. I don't know. But it, but yeah, I, it varies around the country. Some some websites, my gosh, you know, when you go all the way up to the Supreme Court, you can go right in there as a member of the public and listen to oral arguments <laughs> right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, or, uh, right. And, uh, and others can't find, you know, can't find a phone number. But no, that, that's uh, – so those are kind of the categories um, I see. Tell me about the, the virtual spaces. That's interesting to me. What are you using there? Yeah. It, again, what's your workflow look like? What are you using? You know, obviously the the proverbial Zoom will just call Zoom the verb. And when I say Zoom, you can you can talk about Zoom, WebEx, uh, Microsoft Teams, any of the the virtual conferencing platforms. They all have their own specific, unique things about them, mm-hmm. uh, and they all are fine for what we're doing today. I don't think that they are built for courts. I don't think many pieces of software are built specifically for courts. And so while we can use them for certain things, I don't think they work necessarily well for everything. For instance, uh, again, the proverbial Zoom, you'll never hear me recommend one product over the other. 
but when you attend court, you know, let's say it's a, your typical civil rule day, you've got 20 or 30 things set on the case, set on the docket, and all the lawyers show up on your Zoom link. Well, first of all, I don't know what Tom's iPhone means, and we still have Tom's iPhone appear in the Zoom rooms that we have built. And so it's hard to pair the lawyers to which case they're there for without an add-on. You also have attorneys that are sitting on Zoom waiting to be called into court, and they're just sitting there and staring at a blank black screen saying, please wait. Judge Schlegel will be with you in a moment. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating for lawyers. You know, they don't know if the judge knows that they're there. So they call the court constantly to see, hey, does the judge know I'm on? Does the judge know I'm on? Yes, we know. It's a busy day. We'll get to you. But that's not comforting either. And so once you're in the Zoom hearing, it works fine. It works as advertised and it's great. But the the whole from start to finish uh, is not very intuitive from a court perspective. So I use one of those conference platforms that were built during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, you had a number of these software companies that developed platforms for conferences because conferences couldn't be held in person anymore. And so you now have a and it's not an avatar, but a bubble that sits on top of a screen and you can pull that bubble around. And if you get close to somebody, you and that other person can have an individual conversation while everybody else is having their own individual conversation. So at the start of of the start of this year, I implemented that for civil cases and it has worked tremendously. I now have a picture of, uh, you know, a, a courtroom. When you join court, you actually join what looks like chambers and conference rooms and an actual physical courtroom. And you can actually go check in with my assistant. You can then go into a conference room and visit with opposing counsel while I am holding court. You're not disturbing me. I'm not disturbing you. And then I can take over everybody's screen and say, number three on the docket, Smith v. Smith, counsel, join me at your counsel tables. And you drag yourself to counsel tables and boom, we're into a Zoom hearing for court. Gotcha. Yeah, I have seen those and I didn't realize it makes total sense to use them because I used to run conferences. A friend of mine works at a company, I think it's out of Finland, that produces one of these. And and I saw a demo and and I didn't realize somebody was using it for for court hearings. It makes complete sense. I want to ask you the product for the podcast. Do you mind telling me the product? I'm just curious. It's Wonder. Oh, Wonder, Wonder, right. I saw that. Yep. Yeah, I think his company is yeah. Remo. And some some other things are just very simple and analog. Like the, one of the things is is the rules you've set. Uh, you've got specific rules for these hearings, and they're not complicated. I think it's one one page. So tell us about the rules. Yeah, they're, they're not very complicated, but the <laughs> rules had to be drafted and put up there because you got to see bad behavior. You know, do not attend court. While you're driving, I mean, it's a simple rule, <laughs> you know. I'm but sorry, it's just yeah, I understand. It's it's painful, you know. Mm-hmm. Please wear proper attire when coming to court. Virtual court is court, and it amazes me to this day. We still have folks showing up as if it's a you know Zoom call with their buddy. It's not. It's court. So dress appropriately, act appropriately, get in a place where your phones are off. You know, again, if you just think through the workflow, how would I act if I was in physical court? Well, my cell phone would be turned off or it would be on mute. 
Uh, I would not be reading a newspaper. I would not be driving. I would not be having another conversation with somebody. I would be there. I'd be present and I'd be focused. So do the same thing. Find a quiet place. Turn off your phones. Put on a sign on the outside of your door saying, in court, please do not disturb. I mean, I have... You know, I've had folks that, you know, the assistant comes in to get a signature. Hang on real quick. Sign the thing. Okay. Where was I? That's not acceptable behavior. You're in court. You know, I have, you know, we can tell if you're reading another screen, you know, is it, is it, are you reading the newspaper or are you reading your brief? Don't know. Um, But again, these are very basic things that you would never do if you were in the physical courtroom. So don't do them if you're in the virtual courtroom. They're the same thing yeah i mean we're not actually transporting ourselves but i think uh but i think mentally you should transport yourself to the courtroom <laughs> right yep absolutely and uh, right. hopefully I've, i'll get a hologram machine soon enough where we can transport ourselves yes that'd be perfect yeah you mentioned you mentioned creating um and you're an advocate for virtual spaces i, I guess the, the one thing i'm wondering about has is there ever is there any pushback for this is it or is it just I guess I'm trying to think you're the judge, so you have influence over this. But was anybody opposed to doing more of this? Sure. I mean, there's always pushback. You know, I was doing this before the pandemic, so I was already creating virtual spaces. I was already using online calendars. And, you know, I've been on a a Slack channel or a Teams channel with eight different agencies for many, many years, even before the pandemic hit. So there's always been pushback. But you know, change is hard, change is difficult, and to change the justice system is extremely difficult. Now, listen, I am not an advocate for tearing how down the courthouse walls. I believe that the courthouse is a necessary part of the justice system, the physical space. That doesn't mean we have to do everything in the physical space. Again, the technology is a tool, and how do we design a more efficient, effective, and accessible justice system? through the utilization of technology, simple technologies. So again, I think if you just look at these things as a, in this use case, for this workflow, the technology is great. For a criminal jury trial, everybody should be in person physically and we try the case. Mm-hmm. Um, some, you know, some simple witness testimony can be done virtually. Let's just get it done. You know, Let's not drive up the cost of litigation in a civil matter. If it's just a quick witness that needs to, I don't know, authorize some documents that are being offered as evidence. Bring that person on Zoom. Why are we flying them in for, uh, yep, that's kept in the ordinary course and scope of business and answering a few questions, and then that's their testimony. Now you've paid for all that time, money, and effort for a five-minute testimony. Doesn't make sense to me. Use technology for that. So again, it always depends, Tom, always depends. In back to uh, talking about the the websites, uh, for the top, and you talked about the top features that every court website needs before they even launch. Yep. Um, yes, and, and some of those are contact info, video conference hyperlinks, anything else? Yeah, it, fax number, like you said, contact information, embedding online calendars, being able to utilize. Just how do I access the court? You know, why is it why is it a hunt to find my phone number? That makes no sense to me that we're actually like have to search for the court's phone number. It's it shouldn't be that difficult. So basics that we are talking about are 
phone number and email uh, or you know I don't I don't use email because lawyers can't help themselves and they have to <laughs> they have they can't just send you something it's got to be an ex parte on top of it right. um but you know simple basic things should not be difficult to find like my fax number like the phone number like when my hearings are embed mm-hmm. the online calendar right there easy right. stuff and your court rules, things like that. I guess those are court rules, forms, mm-hmm. you know, right. we have, I do civil, criminal and domestic guilty plea forms, put them on there. Um, orders. So when we have shutdowns because of the pandemic, or we live in an area that has unfortunately uh, a lot of hurricanes, uh, when the court has to shut down, send an order. Um, that is very helpful for everybody to be able to see and get through as well. Um, this isn't things that are, I'm saying you're going, wow, I've never thought of that, you know, important (laughs) links, important links to other places, you know, where's the district attorney's office, where's the public defender's office, where's the clerk of courts information, what about the Supreme Court's rules, you know, important links that, that you can just throw up there on the website. Uh, You can also add a frequently asked questions page, but we get the same 10 questions every day. Sure. Put those up on the website. Um, we can add attorney sign-in sheets. Again, recreating the physical space. Uh, we can just put a, a web-based form up there so that attorneys can sign in so that we can actually see who is there for the hearing by putting in a, a virtual attorney sign-in sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes total sense. So <laughs> so pulling a lot of this together, you, you I guess this is a corollary to the, the website. You even have your own mobile app. I do. What's that do? But it's <laughs> it takes all these things are just layering on top of each other. We all interact differently with different things. So the apps that I'm building are not native apps. You're not going to find it on the app store. It's yeah. again some of these form builders allow you to create these apps that are nothing more than taking your website and making it even more easy to navigate. And so when I say build the website and embed your online calendar and embed your forms and create web-based forms, these are just layer on top of layer. And by putting it and creating an app, it's nothing more than links to all these key pieces of information in a very easy, navigable way. So you, if an attorney, you can just save this, what looks like an app on your phone. And if you need to deliver a courtesy copy to the court, you push that button and you just simply drag and drop your PDF and it goes straight to my OneDrive. If you need to schedule a hearing, you just push that button and it takes you straight to my online calendar. If you need sample jury charges, you push a button and there are the sample jury charges right there for you. Download them, get with the opposing counsel, put them together and, and drag and drop the courtesy copy to me. No reason to send a runner, no reason to fax it or mail it to me. Just drag and drop it. Save yourself some printing, save yourself some runner costs, and I'm going to throw your paper away anyway because I live on an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Are, are you uh, in your in the group of, a, of of judges you're with? Are you unique? Or is this spreading to other uh, other judges? Are they using some of the tools you're using? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that I'm unique in the scope of what I'm doing. Um, but I think that it's starting to catch on. I think that a number of judges are starting to see the benefits of certain things. And look, I, you know, everybody always asks me this question. I would, I would say, well, how is it in, in firm land? You know, how is it in your firm and, mm-hmm. and your colleagues that some like it, some don't like it. 
some are all in, some are all out. It, it, people are people. And so I think the other difficulty is it's really hard to implement all these things when you've got a criminal docket, you know, and I got a hundred cases to handle today. If you're not familiar with the, the technology, it can slow you down a bit. And when it goes south, because it will, Zoom won't work one day. You know, what's your backup? How are you going to continue to move those hundred cases through your criminal docket on that day? So, you know, there are certain challenges. You know, most courts don't have IT and you do need IT at some point. Um, you could do a lot of this without them. But again, you, you, we also have to understand the realities. Judges are not technologists and technologists are not judges. And that's the same whether you're, you know, you find a partner at a law firm and an associate a law firm, you give that associate a laptop, that's all they need. <laughs> they don't need an office. They don't need a law clerk. They don't need an assistant. You just give them a laptop and you say, go, you know, that's, it's just the way it is. I'm wondering if um, after a period of time, somebody is studying the impact of these efficiencies. Maybe you're aware somebody's doing that, but it would just seem like a great study to say, <clears throat> and I realize it's hard to, it would be hard to compare, like, this is how long a case took, but right, sure. there have to be some efficiencies that uh, over time you would think maybe cases are go to trial sooner or they get right. resolved sooner or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really hard to quantify this stuff because again, yeah. a lot of the data is still paper-based, you yeah. know? And so depending upon your jurisdiction, you might have a, you know, when people say the court, they automatically think the judges, but in the state of Louisiana, we have elected clerks of court and elected judges. Um, we're not a unified court system. So each court essentially is its own separate entity. And so depending upon your jurisdiction, your clerk may have an e-filing system, whereas the other clerk might have everything still on in paper files. And so it's very difficult to, to quantify this and quantify it at scale. Okay. <laughs> That's what unified court system means. I always thought it I always I always thought it meant something. I don't know what I thought it meant. I thought it meant something else, but I see what you're saying. They uh, they operate as independent uh, independent rules and you're you're kind of the manager of your own your own shop. Who, who do you think is responsible for for modernizing the judicial system? I mean, you've taken a lead role. No one told you to do it. Who do you think is responsible? Yeah, it's a big question. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're all responsible. I think we all play a part, and I think we all need to, to champion the modernization of the justice system because we can't do it alone, and um, nobody's going to solve this problem alone. And so I think that from the, the members of the bar up to the bench, uh, from the clerks of court to the district attorneys and the public defenders – Everybody has a part to play, and if we work together to modernize it, it'll go a heck of a lot more smoothly. Excellent. Uh, I'm curious, too. Uh, are you out there when you're out speaking, things like this, are you finding other other judges like yourself who are pushing for this? Is there – is there a group of you? Have you formed a club? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are certainly a group of us out there that are working hard to build a better, more efficient, effective, and accessible justice system. Good. Well, Judge Schlegel, thank you very much for talking with me about this today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's been fun. It was good. It was excellent. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed talking to right, you. Tom, appreciate it. That concludes this episode of the Emerging Litigation Podcast. 
If you have any questions about anything you heard on the podcast or would like to participate, please write to me at editor at litigationconferences.com. The Emerging Litigation Podcast is a co-production of HB Litigation and Critical Legal Content, my companies, and Fastcase, and our friends at Law Street Media, David Nair, Editor-in-Chief. This is also the audio companion to the Journal on Emerging Issues in Litigation, published by Fastcase, Full Court Press, Tom Hagee, Editor-in-Chief, Morgan Wright, Publisher. I'm your host, Tom Hagee. That's why I'm talking, and I don't know if it needs to be said, but this is not legal advice. Unless telling you it's not legal advice is legal advice, although I'd argue it's just plain common sense. Thanks for listening. Give us a rating, share with friends. See you on the next episode.